0: Kia ora. This program is brought to you by Wellington Access Radio. Get your voice heard.
1: Kia ora and hello. I've been asked to tell you about No Labels, the radio show for, by, and about people living with disabilities. The show offers interviews and news about the disability sector in Aotearoa, New Zealand. On Wellington's Access Radio 106.1 FM, Find us on Facebook or go to www.accessradio.org.nz. No Labels, our voice for you on Access Radio.
0: And welcome to this edition of No Labels. This is a special edition and we um, have a special guest in the studio today. But first of all, I just want to thank and acknowledge Wellington City Council for their great support for uh, sponsoring the production of No Labels. And our guest today is Peter. Peter comes from Gisborne, a place I know very well because um, my whanau come from Gisborne as well. And But I'm going to let Peter introduce himself because he's a, um, someone with a great history and a great role within the community working to support,
2: um, his team working to support the disability community. So kia ora and welcome Peter. Kia ora, Thomas and Namihinui ka To all of your listeners listening, I'm really delighted to be able to be here and to share some thoughts about uh, the disabled community and also the work that we do. I um I went to school in the '60s, you know, when if you had a disability, you had to make do. And I just want to say that and acknowledge the huge change that's occurred and the way we're evolving to be more inclusive. Uh, One of my great friends was in a wheelchair in Gisborne. We had to haul him up to inaccessible places for him to get his class lessons. When I look back now, I shrink with embarrassment at the the way in which it was expected to work, where there were no, no latitude given whatsoever. So I think now we've come a long way and the journey is underway but not yet finished. Thomas, I went to school in Gisborne, came to Victoria University, became a young lawyer doing litigation, then a bit unexpectedly at a very young age of 36 was asked to be a district court judge.
0: That is Uh, very young.
2: It is young. When I look back now at photographs of me at that age, I think really, but it gave me an enormous ability to spend a lot of non-sitting time with my young family So instead of being locked in a legal office till late at night, uh, we were able to do really good stuff together as a family. So I started that and then I just want to say along the way, I was asked by the government to spend two years in the Pacific teaching judiciary, which I did in 2002 and 2003. And that's relevant to one of the songs we're going to talk about today. Then I was asked while I was in Kiribati if I'd be the principal family court judge, Uh, That was 2004, I did, I finished that, became a Law Commissioner and then totally unexpectedly I was rung one day at the beginning of 2015 uh, because Parliament needed a new Chief Ombudsman and that's a long process to be appointed but uh, that happened, so the end of 2015 I became the Chief Ombudsman and that's the role I presently hold, so that's my career in a nutshell.
0: So Peter, a um, Chief Ombudsman, that's a, a, a fairly um, hefty title, um, one we've actually heard quite a bit in the media over the um, last few months around um, you know, people in prison, a whole host of hosts of areas, but you also work quite widely in, um, across the disability community as well. So what's involved of being a Chief Ombudsman?
2: Very good question and really significant because this year in October, we celebrate 60 years of the ombudsman scheme having existed in New Zealand. It's a Scandinavian expression, it's gender neutral. You'd think ombudsman means you've got to be a man, but you don't. It's a gender neutral expression and in the Scandinavian language it means a person who investigates. So in October 1962 the first ombudsman Sir Guy Poles probably our most famous ombudsman mm-hmm. was sworn in with a staff of about 4 we now have a staff of over 200 wow the offer the act that i work under has provision for up to 4 ombudsmen to be appointed but as i have such a good staff and i mean that uh, i operate as a sole ombudsman and the act says that an ombudsman, there must be uh, of the ombudsman one who's the chief ombudsman. So I run the show, but with this hugely talented good staff. And you're right about the jurisdiction. I didn't know all this. I really didn't. But when I started, I realised that one of the things we do is to monitor the United Nations Convention on the Rights of People with Disabilities. And that's one of my biggest and important roles, which I'm very happy to develop with you. But it's certainly one that's receiving a lot of time and attention at the moment. Mm.
0: I can imagine because I know we had a number of um, sessions earlier this year, um, online sessions with um, the DPO Coalition, um, yourselves and uh, Human Rights Commission. And I understand there's a um, group of people heading off to Geneva later this year
2: um, in respect to the the report. Yes, so there is an official mechanism, I'll call it that, it's a body of us, and it consists of three partners, the Human Rights Commission, uh, the Disabled disabled People's Organisations, and the Ombudsman Office. And the three of us are obliged under a mandate given to us by Parliament to monitor how New Zealand is doing in relation to people with disabilities and our commitment to the United Nations that New Zealand honours the treaty. To make sure, from a UN point of view, that we are, there's this examination that occurs, and it will happen in August, by the UN in Geneva of the um, New Zealand government. So our office goes to that. The DPOs will send some members and so will HRC. And that's when how New Zealand is stacking up, how we're doing, will be looked at and reported on.
0: And um, I think for many of our listeners, that will be great when people return from Geneva to actually get a few, few people around the table here and to get an insight as to you know, how they found it, how how accessible was Geneva, you know, um, what was the process? And obviously people will be keen to get people's impressions, but also hear um, you know, any outcomes from that. Um, we know it's a fairly lengthy process, but I think our listeners will be really keen to know um, in future you know what the outcome was and how well we actually did stack up. Because I know with the um, online webinars that we held, there were certainly you know there was a great deal of progress has been made, but there obviously there's still some areas for improvement. And I think you highlighted that on that at very at the very beginning when you talked about you know what you had to do at school to um, help a student mm-hmm. in a wheelchair and the huge inroads we've made, but obviously there's still um, a lot more progress to be made to have a fairly, you know, to have a fully inclusive
2: society. Yes, and that that's the right that people with that the disabled community has. That's the right. the The convention says that those who have a disability have an equal right to participate. Yet, you know, we found during the COVID times of lockdown that the accessibility to those with disabilities wasn't all that it could have been. Mm. So we did a thematic report. Not so much to criticise, but to highlight to government agencies, look, we know that you had to do this with speed, but these are the things that you didn't cover off, that you really could have done a bit better. And next time round, having regard to the convention, let's make sure that we cover off the rights and accessibility of those who have a disability so that they feel properly included
0: so peter the work you guys have been undertaking besides the um work with the dpr coalition and the imm report um recently we've seen some press releases that that have um, come to to the media i think the most recent one was around ORS funding what what is that about and what are the outcomes for that
2: and how could that impact on you know our students today? Right, well thank you for the question because it's probably quite a good uh, part in our discussion, in our cordial to talk about what we do do. So a lot of people complain to us and that's healthy in a democracy, those that want to test how agencies are doing and how the government is doing, to be able to make a complaint is often the best way to get change. So the fact that complaints are made to us, and there are many, means that often it's for the good. What happened in this was that we published a case note pretty recently. Look, a complaint had come in from the parent of a disabled man whose needs classification was made under the Ministry of Education's ongoing resourcing scheme, and as you've said, this is called ORS. And it went right back to when he was at school uh, in 1999. So now MESD uses this assessment to determine funding for disabled people for community participation services from the time they leave school until age 65. Now the complainant said look this assessment at school was incorrect and he should have been classified with very high needs resulting in a better level uh, of funding. I was interested in the complaint, we researched it. We found that this system of classifying now was unreasonable that there was no mechanism to reassess funding for community participation programmes for disabled people throughout their life once they've left school. It just wasn't acceptable. We noted what Article 19 of the UN Convention says about the rights of people with disabilities. So look, we delivered this opinion, Thomas, MSD undertook to Apologise, to provide a flexible payment and engage with the complainant to explore other existing assessment options. Just two other things. The Ministry also said it would review its vocational support, including community participation services, and develop advice for Ministers to consider. And finally, I commended MSD for its response um, and for its willingness to work towards a positive outcome. Now, Thomas, this may have quite wide reach through the disability community. And if we've succeeded in a change where people need to be funded properly and fairly, then that's why I consider my job is so worthwhile. Mm
0: -hmm. And I think that's the sort of view within the community that I picked up when I was reading the the release that I think people see that it's such a huge positive move that this could have significant implications for you know, students moving forward, especially. So,
2: Peter, music. Yes, I hear you're a bit of a dancer in the office. Uh, look, that's a great exaggeration. <laughs> Although I have to tell you, I I did once, some ten years ago, win a dancing competition in Trader Jack's Cafe in Rarotonga, um, and always felt that was slightly generous of those present, but. I said to you that I spent some time in the Pacific, mm. and that's had a huge influence on my life and what's dear to me, and the things that appeal.
0: So, what's the song that we're going to play first? Well, the,
2: the, there are, there are two. I feel, and the first one is called Pate Pate. Now, the point about that is there is a wonderful Pacific group called Tevaka. And the drums, which are called Pātē, they that's their names, they're just so evocative. Hmm. And I think that the where the Pacific community teaches us so much, it's about our expression of music, our expression of our personality. It takes you to a plane where you just feel that life is so worthwhile. So Pātē Party is one of the best songs that Tevaka put out. Right, well, let's go. Oh,
0: well. Oh. Am I I must admit, uh, Peter, when I listened to that the other day, I certainly had my foot tapping. Um, I won't tell you that anything else, but it was, my foot was certainly tapping while I was listening to it because it's the first time I'd heard it, and it was a great song. So thank you for sharing that with our listeners, Peter. You talked about um, complaints. So, what is the process involved if someone wants to make a complaint, or um, you know, and what are the sorts of areas? Or are there limitations as to the areas that people
2: can complain about? Let's start with the second question first. Yes, there are limitations. We don't do private disputes. And so if you've got a dispute with a neighbour or a bank, you have to go elsewhere to get that resolved. In the case of a bank, it's the banking ombudsman. Um, If it's a complaint about your insurance company, you'll go to the insurance ombudsman and they're different people. But we do a huge amount in the government sector and local body sector and there's virtually nothing that we can't touch as far as government agencies are concerned and um, local government. Mm -hmm. Now it's fair to say that we can't review decisions of ministers of the Crown and we don't oversee uh, conduct of the police or the military. But other than that, um, we have a very broad jurisdiction, about 4,600 agencies throughout the country, everything from the South Otago Possum Control Board through to Auckland City Council, through to the one of the biggest of the agencies' corrections. If you want to make a complaint about the action of an agency that's affected you, and normally it'll be a decision that's been taken that you don't think is reasonable or fair, then you can come to the Ombudsman. Our role is to investigate, to assess. We try and get a solution. We're not like a court. We don't deliver a shattering decision and then enforce it as a judge can with a penalty. But we, as we did in the very case you've talked about with the ORS assessment, we get to a point of saying to an agency, we think you could have done this better, will you? And mostly they do. Now, your first question, accessibility, hugely important. In the old days, and you'll know this as well as me, it was pretty bureaucratic and pedantic. You had to fill out a bit of paper, you had to post it, you licked the stamp and on it went. (laughs) These days we're more socially media-driven. We accept complaints in in a broad way. Yes, there's got to be the reduction to some level of formality, but we are not going to be able ourselves to say that we're clean with the convention unless we're fully accessible so that's what uh, we are just about have achieved but I want a little more yet to work out how best we can be accessible not just to the disability community by the way but particularly to young people.
0: Right so when someone's When they feel they have a complaint, do they have to go anywhere else first? Do they have to say to you, well, look, um, no, I haven't bothered going to talk to the council about this. I just thought I'd come to you
2: first. Mm. It's a very good uh, question, can I say. Generally speaking, we we want people to have discussed with the agency first why they disagree. And often an agency has an inbuilt complaint system. Now, that's not to say that we won't touch it sometimes will help that person through the, um, sometimes a torturous way of making a complaint with an agency. So generally speaking, the answer to your question is if there is an inbuilt complaint mechanism, we'd expect that to be looked at first. Now, now, Thomas, in some cases, we don't have jurisdiction because there is an inbuilt mechanism. I'll give you an example, child support. Mm -hmm. A number of people are asked to pay child support according to our calculation and they think it's unfair and wrong. But there is an inbuilt child support appeal system and so we tend to want people to use that instead of us uh, and we'll only do something if along the way uh, where we feel that a process has gone wrong in some respect, we might intervene and help to resolve it.
0: Right, and so where where does the human rights commission fit in? Because you know we know there's a complaint procedure for there as well, and so why would or how do I determine Mm. should I be going to the human rights commission if I if I've complained already and no one's really paying much attention or, or or fobs me off? Um, how do I determine whether I need to come to the Human Rights Commission or to the Ombudsman's Office?
2: Look, I think if it's a situation where you've been discriminated against, mm-hmm. it, it might be in one of a number of ways. But if one feels that the reason you haven't got a foot in the door is because of discrimination, there, that is breach of a human right. There is no doubt about that. There is um, a human rights convention um, that is very clear on the point. So the the brief answer to your question is the Human Rights Commission is centrally about human rights and not being afforded a right of a number. We are much broader and are generally speaking driven by a decision made about uh, something by an agency. Usually I have to say it's not breach of a right, it's more likely to be an unfair, uh, it might be an immigration decision where a visa has been denied or a fee has not been waived in circumstances where you feel it should have and it's unfair and unreasonable. So the difference between us, you'll see, is one's pretty much oriented to rights, we are pretty much oriented to unreasonable decisions that affect the citizens of New Zealand.
0: And that's a nice way to um, clarify it. So thank you, Peter. Now, I understand you have a a new panel or recently established panel advisory group that um, provides advice. I, I guess this is my terminology because I, I know nothing about the group um, that is made up of disabled mm.
2: people. I was wondering if you could share some information about that with us. I her. think it's wrong for someone like me to think that I'm a know-all, to think that I have the right to have insight as to all the issues that are relevant to a disabled person. And I don't think that's good for me and I think I should get expert advice and also be able to engage in a way um, which is consistent with what the disability community expects. So, I started off three years ago in the Māori context by setting up a Māori advisory board. It's called Puharamanatanga. Tangata. Um, and that's been fundamentally important in informing me of what matters to Māori and how to engage and how to resolve. With disability, the name of it is Te Ropu Kaiārahi Hoātanga. It's a name gifted to us by our uh, kōru in the office. And it's my way of assembling people with a range of disabilities who will say to me that doesn't sound right or why don't you engage in this way or in this policy being pursued by an agency what they seem not to have done is thought through the following things. So we've had so far one online meeting. We had the first actual meeting, thank goodness, about a month ago and we have our next meeting coming up in a couple of months time. I think this is a unique and wonderful way for an integrity agency like me to get better informed and make better decisions.
0: And that's really really great to see because I, I notice a number of organisations are moving down a similar path now and that's about the significant change that we see in society today. And I think um, Parliament has established a, a similar type group and we're hoping to actually have them on the show in the near future as well to find out more about you know, what it is that this group does um, and and I think you know the changes that that take place it's like most things yeah you know, it takes time to bring about change but that when the change comes it's a significant change it's a for in many areas it's a a life-changing change that and I and I see the same thing we had issues with buses in Wellington many years ago and we went from buses that had steps in them, and I think many cities were the same, and to low-floor buses. And who would ever want to go back to a bus with steps in it? You know, it benefits everybody. And I think such groups also benefit
2: the wider society as well, helping Mm. us all be informed. Yes. Look, you're absolutely right. And as long as we're moving forward and we can say each year this is how we've progressed and advanced, I'll be happy. I, I want us to have a, a way in which we can demonstrate in a concrete fashion that something which was unacceptable has been changed and amended. And I think that's the, that's the 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 true demonstration of a country which says it's civilised and it cares. I think ultimately that's the measure. Peter, what else do you get involved with um, work-wise
0: and then maybe you could share with us a little about what you get up to outside of work.
2: Oh, outside of work. <laughs> right. This, um, this, by the way, is, is a great job. Uh, it, it is a very busy, consuming job. It means that when I get, you, you talked about before, I know generously but all the same, slightly exaggerating my uh, dancing prowess, I'm usually um, so had it by the time I get home that I'm not a rip-roaring dancer. However, I have an 8-string ukulele. I-, I love playing uh, this ukulele. I did some gigs last night to myself when something was on TV I didn't like, so out came uh, the ukulele. I did Hoki uh, Mai. I played next um, The Gambler with um, uh, Kenny, Kenny Rogers. Rogers yes. Yeah. So there is that. We're fortunate enough to have a beach place at Te Beach north of Wellington and that's what I'll call my retreat. That's where we have a patanque court, I have a garden. I just, look, I really, and I did this just yesterday, I just really like the, the idea of dirt on the fingers, putting seeds and watching them grow, planting them. It just gives me a feeling of satisfaction. And um, I like to be able to reflect at the end of the day, gee, that was a pretty productive day. So the, the things that I mostly do are related to to that. Just finally, it's on the, on the point of view of other things. This job does give an ability for a certain amount of travel. Uh, lately, of course, not so. But we did a trip in May to Chicago, New York and San Francisco and it just reminds you of how good it is to be able to go, be stimulated by other things in the world and to come back. So I think always having a a thirst and a quest to get out and explore is just terrific. I liked your
0: your expression or your comments about gardening and watching things grow, and it, it really comes back to actually what you do during the day in your job. You know, the seeds that you plant, the work that you do, resulting in growth and change. Mm. And I think that's, you know, it's interesting when we look at our jobs sometimes how often what we do can be seen in in how we participate, how we do what we do outside of work. Mm. So Peter, you've got another song for us. What is it?
2: Well, you know, uh, I've I've always adored the Rolling Stones. Mm -hmm. Uh, Look, these these pretty ageless men... (laughs) Um, who have been able to play music for such a long time. And when they sing Far Away Eyes, it's in some ways the cleverest spoof on aspects of America, which of course we sort of like on the one hand, but at other times we're not quite so sure. And I think that the Rolling Stones singing Far Away Eyes is one of the cleverest songs I've ever encountered.
0: It sort of has a sort of
2: feel, sound to a
0: couple of um, tracks from Easy Rider, that sort of era, um, where it's like almost, in some respects, um, yeah, you know, an English band making a, almost um, a bit of fun at American uh, music in some respects. But it's a it's a great track, and um, I hadn't heard it for ages until I listened to it again the other day. Okay, so let's go out. Right. Let's go with the Rolling Stones.
2: Okay.
3: radio station and the preacher said you know you are And I thought By the time I got there She'd be off She'd be off for the nearest truck driver She could find Much to my surprise Bye. Wow.
0: What's what's coming up for you? Um, are you heading off to Geneva, or is, is, is someone from the team going and you're having to ho- stay at home and mind the ship?
2: Mind the fires. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I'm not going to Geneva. Although we are sending a, a very a very top level delegation, just mm-hmm. just two from our staff yeah. to Geneva. Look, it's a really exciting year for us, Thomas. We we have our 60th celebration mm-hmm. uh, on the 12th of October. Uh, we'll be having ombudsmen from all around the Pacific coming for that. It's a really exciting, good time. The other thing is New Zealand's international role and our role in the Pacific, and that's an important role. Part of the the job I do, I'm a second vice president of the International Ombudsman Association. That means that I get out and about a bit. So, for instance, I've just done Rarotonga officially. We'll do. Samoa, the first week of September, to help with the constitution celebrations. Then in uh, November in Vanuatu, we'll sign a memorandum of understanding. So what's coming up is at long last getting out, supporting our office colleagues in the Pacific, helping them with the knowledge and the resources that we've got, and helping to build and sustain integrity in the Pacific. Wow. Peter, thank you so much for coming in today and sharing so much
0: about what the Ombudsman office does and some of the great work you do, do, uh, as in the the team um, led by you, of course. So Peter, thanks heaps. If anyone wants to get in touch with the Ombudsman's office, what's the best way?
2: Easily the best way is to Google Ombudsman. It'll take you to our website. Mm. And the website, by the way, has been specifically designed to be user-friendly for smartphones. So so it's based around a small screen and it's designed with flicks to get you to where you want to get to um, pretty easily. I want to thank you in turn for a lovely interview. I've thoroughly enjoyed it and I hope that some of your listeners now have a better and helpful appreciation of some of the work we do and the ways that we might be able to help them.
0: Thanks, Peter, and look forward to catching up with you again soon.